Welcome to What You Didn't Expect in Fertility, Pregnancy, and Birth. How we think and feel about this enormous transition often lives in the gap between what we expected and what we actually experienced. This gap exists in part because of how we tend to talk about and portray these events on all kinds of media. In a one-dimensional way, everything was amazing. But it's more often the case that there are beautiful things that happen and at the same time, really challenging things that happen. This show shares true experiences, both the easy parts and the difficult parts, and how we manage what we didn't expect. The intense things that can happen in the course of this transition can impact how you see yourself, how you see your partner, and how you parent. The better we understand what happened to us, the better we can manage all the things that follow. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm a writer and an economist and the mother of two girls, and I met many, many challenges in this process, none of which I expected. This week's episode features details of a pregnancy on a boat. My guest, Tanya, shared her experiences of her other four births on earlier episodes. I'll link to those in the show notes. She had a variety of experiences in the hospital with midwives and OBs, but this pregnancy and birth are entirely different. She shares what she learned both about her body and the process of birthing, including the fear she had and how she overcame them. What follows is the first part of our conversation. Hi, today we have an unusual episode in that a previous guest is coming back to tell us a little bit more about one of her pregnancies. So Tanya, thanks so much for coming back. Hey, totally my pleasure. You get me started talking about babies and I just can't stop. So just to remind everyone, you have five children. <laughs> just five. And you guys live on a boat? Correct. That's correct. Although they're now ranging in age from 21 to 11. So the oldest two are independent. And then I have an 18 year old that's got one foot out the door. Okay. So you still have action on the boat. Oh yeah. There's still action on the boat. And we're focused on one pregnancy that we didn't get to focus on because we were talking about the lot. Yeah. So why don't you take us to that pregnancy? Was it easy to get pregnant that time? And then what happened? Well, we managed to plan one child and we have five. So I get pregnant very easily. We did plan the first one and then all the other ones, I say they're planned. They just were planned by God and not by us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, super easy. Weren't even planning on having another baby. We were happy with the four that we had. We were already traveling on the boat. So number five was a bit of a surprise. I remember calling my husband. He was coming home from a business trip and telling him that we were going to be adding a small crew member. And he was just very quiet. And I I gave him a couple hours while he was driving back to the Florida Keys to think about, you know, how he could frame his response because I I didn't want it to be bad news. Yeah. How he could frame his excitement. Yes, exactly. So I I was kind of afraid if I had told him in person what I didn't want to see the look on his face if it was shock or disappointment. So of course, by the time he got home, we were happy and excited about it and talked about all the good things that we love about having children and not all the inconvenient things about trying to have a baby on a boat, which was never our intention. Yes. So your entire pregnancy was on the boat. Correct. Correct. And so I never really had morning sickness with the other four. And so there was kind of an unknown. I typically also do not get seasick. So I assumed that everything would be fine, but I suppose that there was the possibility that something could be different. Every pregnancy is different. And I can only imagine how awful it would have been to have had morning sickness and seasickness No kidding. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a lot for your body to sort out for sure. So how's the pregnancy? 
the pregnancy was great. We were in the Florida Keys for the first few months, I guess maybe the first eight weeks or so. And then I wanted to find a midwife in Florida, just kind of to hedge our bets. Although I was optimistic that babies are born everywhere and I didn't need a high-tech hospital. I really felt like I could do a midwife assisted birth anywhere in the world. I do have a bit of magical thinking. So I kind of just said, well, we'll just stop off at an island, have a baby and then keep traveling. And my husband looked at me sideways and was like, well, we'll see how you feel when you're seven months pregnant, climbing in and out of a dinghy with groceries, going to shore to do laundry, going to shore to run errands. You're going to be hot and exhausted. And probably when the baby's born, you're going to want family around. And I'm like, you might be right. Well, let's just go anyway and we'll see how it turns out. But to hedge our bets, we went to Sarasota and found um, a birthing home that was near a hospital. That was kind of what we were looking for and interviewed the midwife and felt really good about it. She did, I guess, my eight-week checkup and then gave me a chart to take with me and said, get as much prenatal care as you can. And when you have a chance to weigh in or have your urine checked, fill out this chart so that when you come back, we have some continuity of care before you just come back and have a baby. And if you decide to have the baby elsewhere, call me and let me know. You know, she kind of was open to even flying somewhere if we needed a midwife. So that would have been really cool. A vacation um, for her and a, a midwife for me. That That is amazing. And on the one hand, I'm surprised by the magical thinking after four other ones. On the other hand, they all went well, right? So a doctor would certainly have, you know, slapped me <laughs> across the face and gone, woman, what are you thinking? But, you know, I had a large baby for number three, Sam, who was number four, he was nine pounds. So I don't birth small babies. And I was at that point, I think 38. So also geriatric. So maybe there were some risk factors there that it didn't feel risky to me. And the pregnancy progressed very normally. At that point, we had really cleaned up our diet. We were eating so healthfully. I felt amazing. I was getting sunshine and fresh air and swimming every single day. And we were cruising through the Bahamas with our kids and doing all the things that we had dreamed of doing when we left the suburbs of Atlanta. And I think everything went pretty swimmingly right up until about six, seven months. I was feeling good, but I started to get big and uncomfortable and you start to not sleep so well. And you're climbing in and out of a bunk that's four feet off the cabin sole. And we were at that point, six people sharing one hand pump toilet, which is a whole, <laughs> a whole big part of that adventure. So aside from the inconveniences, everything was fine, but I did begin to feel like, okay, my husband was probably right. And we were stopping off at little islands and going to see the midwife. And just like in the United States, many years ago, most people were born at home with a midwife. That's how it was on all of these islands we were traveling to. However, nowadays in the Bahamas, if you want to have a baby, you have to go to one of the big islands. So you go to Nassau or Freeport around, I guess, 36 weeks and you wait for a month. You live with family or rent a place and then you have a baby in a hospital. And that did not sound appealing to us at all. We did not want to take our boat to Nassau and wait for a month. If we were going to take the boat somewhere and have the baby, I didn't want to do it in a hospital in a foreign country. Midwife is one thing. If you sure. have your baby in the Bahamas, are they a Bahamian citizen? They would be a Bahamian citizen. That Bahamian is correct. Citizen, yes. Yep. Okay. And we have okay. other traveling friends who live on sailboats and who've had babies. I have a really good Israeli friend who had a baby in Guatemala and her 
baby is Guatemalan and we have some friends who had babies in Mexico. So it's a thing. People go places. And like I said before, babies are born everywhere. So true. There's that you have to have an adventurous spirit to have a baby in another country. And, and even more so if you don't speak the language. Agreed. Agreed. So anyway, I was going to see these midwives in these little clinics. I was getting weighed. I was peeing in a cup and checking for sugar in the urine and all the things that they check for, filling out my little chart. And I got an ultrasound in Hopetown. Uh, I was with my daughter and or maybe it was Marsh Harbor. It must have been Marsh Harbor. Anyway, I went uh, in the Abacos and got an ultrasound and I took my daughter with me. Um, she had been praying for a sister. She had at that point, three brothers, and she was tired of the boys, and she had prayed for a sister. And we know where babies come from, but the timing of this baby and the the way it all worked out looks really like God has a sense of humor and, and really answered my daughter's prayer. So we showed up at the ultrasound, and my then six-year-old was so excited because we decided to find out the sex, and it was a girl. And she had gotten her sister request, and this baby was due just mere weeks before her seventh birthday. So for her, it felt like I had given her this sister for her birthday. (laughs) Well done, mom. Yeah. So that's awesome. And so how do we get to the birth? If you're not feeling well right now, does that mean we're docked or what's our plan? We were anchored and I was crossing Elizabeth Harbor down in Georgetown, Bahamas in a dinghy, in a little 11 foot dinghy, getting groceries. And the process there is you get in the dinghy, you take the 10 minute dinghy ride across the sloshy harbor and you go into town and you park your dinghy at a little dock and you kind of have to climb over other people's dinghies to get to the dock. Um, I can't remember if at that point I may have had my wagon, but then you're also carrying grocery bags or your you know, a a rolling cart of some sort. And you're walking to the little grocery market and then to the bakery and then to the produce stand or whatever, multiple stops in town, loading everything up into your rolling cart or your bags, taking it back to your dinghy, taking another kind of sloshy ride back to the boat and then loading all that stuff into the cockpit and then putting it all away. It really takes all day. It was all I could do on grocery day. It was just that's it. There's no homeschooling that day. There's no beach day that it's just get the groceries and then go have a cold drink and take a nap. That was the day. (laughs) So I think I was getting tired of doing that. And so we decided to go back to Florida and dock the boat because I was trying to imagine, you know, where we were going to be. And I was going to have this baby. What if I go into labor and we're anchored somewhere and I'm trying to be in the dinghy having contractions, like all of it, the reality of it, I think, caught up to me. And so we came back to Florida. We also realized after living on the boat for a year that the boat needed some work to make it family friendly and certainly baby friendly. And while I did have a basket woven for me by this wonderful Bahamian basket weaver, she she wove me this Moses basket for the baby. And it was the coolest memento we've ever brought home. The baby was going to be able to sleep there for a couple of months, but we were going to have to figure out a long-term sleeping solution for a small child. And so we decided to come back to Florida, have some work done on the interior of the boat, have the baby, and then and then reassess our travel plan. So that's where the magical thinking stopped. So now you're docked and are you going to see the midwife that you saw originally? 
Yeah. So we came back, I was seven-ish months pregnant and then the more frequent visits start and I was going to see the midwife and everything was progressing normally. Everything looked great. The birthing home was a very cozy, homey place. I knew it was going to be way more comfortable than a hospital. I was feeling really confident about our decision. I was glad that we had done what we had done and we had made some new friends with kids on a boat in the marina, which was great for our kids. And it all just felt like we had made the right decision. And our families were an hour or two away in either direction from Sarasota. So we had some family support, which was also really important. Yeah, that sounds lovely. And so on the day that your second daughter is born, how do you know today's the day? I'm not normally a seamstress, but I was sewing some boat projects and I had gotten that nesting urge that I get with each kid. You're like, today I'm going to do this massive project. Even though the babies do any day, I'm just going to sew all the curtains for every doorway in this boat. And so I start sewing and sewing and sewing. And I'm on the last curtain, on the last stitches of the last curtain for the doorways. And my water breaks. Oh, wow. And that had never happened. I'd had lots of interventions before. If they wanted to speed things up, they would break my water, which often works. So I was so excited and I heard it, you know, I could feel that, that popping sensation and the gush of water. I knew what it was. And I was excited because with my second child, when they broke the water, he was born like five or six hours later. So I thought, finally, I'm going to have a nice, easy, speedy birth. It's not going to be one of these 24 hour marathons. And um, so I called Jay, we enacted our plan to get the kids to a friend's before they went to their grandmother's or whatever. And then Jay and my daughter and me got into the car and went to the midwife's birthing home and started the long work of, of childbirth. And how did that go how you expected it or how you were hoping for it to go? It went predictably. It did not go the way I wanted it to go. So it did not go as quickly as I thought. It was the, the usual thing that I have where you seem to make a lot of progress at the beginning and then there's kind of a, I stall typically. So contractions were decreasing. The time between contractions had been decreasing and then it kind of stops. And then I have one contraction every 20 minutes. And the midwife trusted me a lot more than most doctors would, where I say, you know what, I've had four other kids. And as much as I was hoping this was going to go fast, I can tell you that this is very typical of what happens. This might take a while. And she was like, I'm totally, if you're okay, I'm okay. We're just going to monitor you when we need to monitor you. I'm not going to keep checking your cervix because I don't want to introduce bacteria unnecessarily if this is going to take a while. She gave me her protocol, what she needed to do legally so that, you know, so that she could keep me and the baby safe. And she was going to send us to the hospital if there were signs of distress. And we both agreed that the outcome that we wanted was a healthy mom and a healthy baby. And no birth plan is worth sacrificing that for. So now you're stalled and your six-year, almost seven-year-old is playing cards with dad or asleep or? Yeah, we would go for walks because we weren't confined to the maternity ward in a hospital. We would go for walks. She encouraged me to go for long walks because you could speed things up by moving. So we would go for walks. We would play games. I had a tribe of friends that were coming and going because that it was kind of an open environment like that. And I could have them come and stay for a while and hold my hand or labor with me or go for walks. And they were all excited and hoping to be there when the baby was born. The midwife, I guess, toward the second day, it's been 
almost 24 hours, was beginning to talk about what we can do to speed things up. We realized that this baby was now overdue and it was the eve of my other daughter's birthday. And so we, in my depends, because I was still leaking water, went to Whole Foods while I was in labor and bought a birthday cake and some snacks and things because I knew she was going to be in this birthing home for her birthday. Yeah. And then came back in the afternoon. I called my sister-in-law who has, she now has 10 children at the time. She had six or seven. I can't remember. And she prayed for me on the phone because I was beginning to feel like confident that my body knows how to do this, but it's just taking so long. I'm beginning to feel weary and worried. And I don't want to go in to have a C-section, but I also don't want to wait so long that it's then an emergency. Yeah. So she prayed with me on the phone. That made me feel more peaceful. I went back to the midwife and she said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you to the next building in this little plaza and have you see my acupuncturist. And I kind of looked sideways at her. I was not accustomed to seeing an acupuncturist, certainly not while I was in labor. Although I've seen lots of alternative practitioners, I wasn't questioning acupuncture per se. It was more the okay, you're going to, someone's going to stick me with needles while I'm having contractions. I'm, I'm terrified of needles. I hate them. That's why I never got an epidural for one thing. Cause I did just didn't want someone stabbing me with the needle while I was having contractions. So, so I go see Janine next door to the, to the birthing home and Janine's atmosphere is super calm and beautiful. She's got this room, seafoam green. There's a little golden Buddha statue, which is what I ended up staring at for the next hour. I'm on her table, lying down sideways, staring at this little golden Buddha statue, wondering how the heck I got here, you know, t- after 24 hours of labor, my fifth child that you would think would already be here, 10 days overdue, feeling a little bit afraid. And here's this person's threading little needles into my back and suddenly something hurts and it wasn't a needle poke. It was like a soreness. And I said to Janine, ow, what was that? And she says, that is your kidney. And I said, wow, why does that hurt so much? And she goes, well, interestingly, the kidney is where we often store feelings when we are afraid. So a a lot of this whole staring at the golden Buddha statue, the music that was on, and I'm in the middle of labor and I'm trying to silence my inner critic so that I can access my inner physician. That's how I describe it. I'm like, okay, I know there's some truth in here. I just need to peel away the layers of like, I feel uncertain about this whole atmosphere, but somewhere underneath there is some wisdom and I'm going to figure out what it is. Here we are talking about how acupuncture might move labor along and how exactly this works is mysterious. I wanted to see if there are any controlled trials that look at this issue and determine the effect of acupuncture on labor initiation. And this is what I found. In a review that looked at a number of studies that used an experimental group who had acupuncture and a variety of different control groups, none of them had acupuncture, they had all different kinds of other things. Acupuncture seemed to increase the cervical readiness for labor but ultimately was not related to the C-section rate, which is to say it didn't reduce the number of C-sections, but it also didn't have any negative side effects. A more recent study from the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology also suggested that there was no difference in outcomes comparing an acupuncture and a no acupuncture group, but acupuncture may have an effect on the spontaneous initiation of labor. 
which is to say it could be a way to avoid labor inductions, which can involve a bunch of unwanted side effects. You can find links to these studies in the show notes. And so I'm thinking about fear and she goes, well, is there anything that you're afraid of? And I start giggling. I'm like, well, I'm afraid of everything. I'm afraid of having to get a C-section. I'm obviously childbirth brings up all of our greatest fears, our fears of our own death, the fears of the death of a child, the fear of orphaning our children or widowing our partner. So of course I'm afraid. I'm also afraid of the pain. Childbirth is very painful. It's not the fear of the unknown anymore. It's now the fear of the known. Yeah. Of course I'm afraid. And so she goes, well, it's good that you're aware of that. Why don't you describe this fear for me? I want you to go close your eyes and think about what color is it? What shape is it? Where is it residing in your body? And I'm closing my eyes and I'm trying to come up with some kind of creative answer for her, honest answer. And I said, all right, I'm really trying to work with you here, but I don't see anything. My fear doesn't have a color or a shape because it doesn't exist. This worst case scenario that I'm running inside my head, it isn't real. None of it is real. It's just something that I've somewhat up, what if scenario that I've cooked up. And then my kidney stops hurting. That soreness went away instantly when I said that. And I said, did you remove a needle? And she said, no, I haven't touched you. I haven't touched anything. And I said, that pain went away. And she said, interesting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? So the process of analyzing and naming my fear and recognizing, I think there's this wonderful abbreviation, you know, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. You know, I recognized that this was an illusion. I can't see the fear. I can't name the color or the shape of this fear because it's not real. Suddenly this realization means that I've kind of dealt with it. And then she says to me, she goes, have you felt any changes while you were here? And I said, physical changes. I think I've had maybe two or three contractions during the hour that I've been here. So I don't necessarily feel anything speeding up. I don't feel like something magical has happened. She goes, well, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, well, I typically have long, slow labors because I dilate very slowly. I usually am at 40 weeks pregnant with one centimeter dilation. I feel like I've been laboring for 24 hours. My cervix is probably ripe now. And this baby is asleep. I can tell that the baby is not very active right now. And that when this kid wakes up, you know, nocturnal as, as babies in utero often are, when this baby wakes up at 8 p.m. to do her water aerobics routine, I feel like she's going to be pushing against my uterus or against my cervix and it will be ready and I'll have this baby at night. I'm going to end my conversation with Tanya here for today. Many women who describe their birth plans require some kind of structure in this process that involves so much uncertainty. So Tanya's self-described optimism, imagining that everything will be fine, which it is until it's not, may be what's required to even attempt a pregnancy on a boat with your four other kids and husband. And part of her calculus was totally right. The sunshine, the ocean swim sound ideal. I appreciate her sharing that there can still be fear involved in the birthing process, even when you've done it numerous times before and it's always gone reasonably well. Next week, we'll hear how this labor, already looking longer than she wants it to be, especially given that it's for baby number five, resolves. 
Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with friends. We'll be back next week with the rest of Tanya's inspiring story.